this week, I got to go on a walk with a buddy who is a newlywed. Um, and of course, uh, in a first year of marriage and uh, talking about all the joys that come with the first year of marriage and also the challenges that come with the first year of marriage. And as we were talking, I found it interesting that he said he feels like his, his number one challenge um, actually doesn't have to do necessarily with he and his bride, uh, but actually with his friends. Um, that, that he, had, he had moved away for a period of time. Uh, he is now back in Fresno with all of his old relationships. And so much of the expectations of who he was are still placed on him now, even though that uh, his priorities have shifted. Um, and as we talked more and more, uh, it was interesting because he, he even said it got to the point where some of his friends were actually a little bit disappointed in what their relationship has now become, what their friendship has now become, um, to a point of uh, actually feeling underappreciated, uh, undervalued, um, and really not liking the new way in which they are, because now they're getting uh, the married friend uh, before they had you know, the non-married friend, and those are completely different. It's priority shift. Um, and some of his friends expressed that they really weren't too happy with him and uh, the way the relationship has gone. Um, and I think for all of us, there's a lot of ways that this can play out. Um, for you, maybe it's that you've moved to a new city. Uh, you've taken a new job. You've entered into a new relationship. Uh, you've picked up a new hobby. And by all those things, they can be good things, the things that you've, you've chosen and are wanting to pursue uh, but it's not seen the same as others. Others can actually be disappointed because your priorities have shifted in all of these things. And what can happen is that as those priorities shift, others don't see in the same way and they can be disappointed in you. They can feel like their expectations of you are not being met. Um, and frankly, they can hate kind of the, the new scenario or the relationship they find yourselves in. Um, and I think as Americans, what can happen pretty quickly uh, is that we can tend to think that when we're doing everything good, when we're, when we're doing everything right, um, that things are always going to go our way. That when we're doing our best, when we're living you know, the fullest life, when we're being all that we can be, that everything is going to be in harmony. That we're going to have relational intimacy, that uh, we're going to find financial success, that we're going to be mentally and physically healthy. But sometimes, the opposite is the way of Jesus. And that can be hard. Um, we could actually be pursuing all that is good, all that is right, all that is beautiful, and we still face challenges. We still face lack in a lot of areas in our life. Um, we're growing in our love for God and finding more meaning. Our purpose and service to others is growing, but those closest to us don't always appreciate it. And again, they can even hate it. So today we're going to continue our series, Open Secrets, uh, where we're exploring the open and public neglected teachings of Jesus, and today's a little bit of a doozy. Uh, this one doesn't get much airplay, um, as we'll find out here in a second probably why. Uh, but we're, we're also, as Kim mentioned in the beginning, we're going to do this a little bit differently. I'm going to read the passage, I'm going to share a little bit, and then what we're going to do is break into our discussion groups in the middle of the sermon. So we're going to go into to discussion groups for about eight to ten minutes. They're going to be pretty large groups, um, and I'll explain a little bit more, but 
Don't feel like you have to talk. Don't feel like you have to have your camera on. Um, just be present. We encourage you to turn your camera on. We would encourage you to chat. Uh, but again, we want to try and drive as much connection as possible. And then after that group, with your discussion leaders, we'll come back and then I'll work through the rest of the message. Um, but just wanted to give you a little bit of a heads up on that. Now, as we enter into this, I want you to know that like as a pastor, as I prayed all week, as I read all week, as I actually had a, a good amount of conversations around this passage, um, I'll be honest, I, I don't know if I fully arrived on what to do with what we're about to read uh, and what that looks like in my life and, and how these things have played out and, and ultimately how I'm continuing to step into this. So if you'd like, you can turn to Luke chapter 14, um, one of the accounts of Jesus, and we're going to pick up in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Yikes. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish it. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for the terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is, not, it is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. You see what I mean by I don't fully know what to do with all of this. Um, after recording worship this week, uh, Daniel, my mom, and I stuck around, and we chatted a little bit about this passage um, and just kind of some of the different interpretations of what it means to each of us. And Daniel shared something that uh, I think very fitting for this. Um, if we look at the, the first century in Jesus' time, uh, they were in a highly patriarchal society. Everything revolved around family. You, you, oftentimes, you had family units that would live in multi-story homes or multi-level homes, um, and you would have you know, the generation before you, the generation after you, above you, below you, next to you, uh, everything was centered around the family. You were, you were known as the son of or the daughter of. Um, you were introduced by the family vocation uh, that you fell in line with. Really, your whole identity was wrapped up in your family and your ability to continue to be fruitful, to produce more family. And in this context, what Jesus says here is absolutely insane. This crowd, which some of them are definitely authentic followers of Jesus, including his disciples who are trying to figure it out, um, there's also people that are coming along that really just want to be there for his teachings, want to be there for his miracles, want to be there because everyone else is starting to follow along. And he says to them that anyone who wants to be a part of what he is doing, you have to put him ahead of your entire life. That all your world, everything that your, your world uh, evolves around, what you find most important in your life, all of those things come secondary to him. 
And the challenging part is that it's going to cost us. It's going to cost you something. I found the message translation of verse 33 helpful. Simply put, if you're not willing to take what is dearest to you, whether plans or people, and kiss it goodbye, you can't be my disciple. So who is dearest to you? And what plans have you predetermined? These are the two of the questions that I was confronted with this week. Because if we open our lives to Jesus and his kingdom, to, to follow in the ways of goodness and beauty, to become a more loving and merciful person, we will experience relational and social friction. With some people, with a lot of people, it's different for everybody. But I think it's especially with those who are probably most similar to us in family or cultural backgrounds. Now, you can't be completely open to God. We cannot be completely open to our Creator and expect or demand that all of our family, all of our friends, all of those closest to us, all of those like us are going to always be uh, happy for us or, or moving in the same direction as us. Um, they're not always going to be happy with you. And I think for us, and especially as we want to try and please and we want to keep relational accordance with everyone, we'll go insane trying to please both sides, trying to both pursue Jesus above all things while also pursuing our life above all things, while trying to make everyone happy above all things. We can't do both. So in what ways is pleasing your kids or your spouse limiting your connection with God? Yeah, I think about um, moms of young kids in these scenarios and the cultural pressures to do everything possible to make your kids happy, to give them opportunities for success. And this leaks into to parents, I think, having to go above and beyond that if you don't do everything you possibly can, somehow you are neglecting your children. That they, be, they become first in all ways of your life. And I'm not saying to care deeply and to do a lot for your kids is bad by any means. But at what points is pleasing your kids or your spouse actually coming above your relationship with Jesus? How are your cultural traditions of marriage, of family, of, of career actually inhibiting your ability to continue moving forward in your life with God? I think about the cultural pressures of being married. We have such a high view that marriage is everything. And how many parents put pressures on their children to hurry up and get married when are you going to have kids? Time is running out. Well, at what point does that cultural pressure get put above your life with God? Maybe it's your generation's worldview. Is your generation's worldview actually keeping you from seeing the fullness of what God's kingdom wants to do here and now in this time? Maybe it's your political affiliation that your political affiliation has actually become higher than your affiliation to Jesus as Lord, to Jesus as our King. 
Because see, if we open ourselves up to all of this, as we, as we choose Jesus as the ultimate priority in our life, we're not going to fit in all of the cultural categories the same. Even just taking political right now, in, in the polarization we find ourselves in, the opposition between being a conservative to being a progressive, whatever that looks like, as God enters into the conversations around what we align with politically, a conservative who has uh, maybe a very high view on moral and, and personal choice, I think actually starts to see social injustices on the horizon differently. And vice versa, as a progressive who really mostly sees things through the, lo- the, the lens of social justice. In a lot of ways, Jesus starts to confront the interior of high morality and personal choice in ways. See, as Jesus and his kingdom, as we come open to that primarily, it's going to confront the things that we've aligned with as important in our lives, the things that we love most, the things that are good in our life. I can remember near the end of college um, when I started following Jesus, uh, and I think there's some differences in accepting Jesus and following Jesus, given my own life trajectory. Um, but I actually moved out of the house that I had lived in for a couple years with my closest friends and teammates. Uh, I started going to parties regularly with them. I stopped going to parties regularly with them. Uh, I stopped entering into the same conversations. Um, and so many things changed. And in a lot of ways, uh, you know, the whole line of like, you've changed, bro, would come up quite a bit. Um, and I think a big part of it, like, it just didn't seem fair because I felt like I was making good decisions. I felt like I was pursuing wholeness in my life. I was pursuing actually what it looks like to be loved. I was starting to grow in ways to value people differently, including my girlfriend at the time, now wife, Caitlin. You see, I was, I was moving in all of these things, but in so many ways, it felt like my friends hated me for the decisions that I was making. Or maybe it was that they felt like I hated them as I progressed in this certain way. And it just didn't seem fair. So I guess the question in all of this is, what do we do? Do we continue to maintain relationships above all else and to please others? Maybe just not bucking the system and and really wanting to, to, to bring discord into our relationships and just trying to find a way to get Jesus to fit in to how we want our life to go. Therapists talk about uh, upsides and downsides to people be moving from being dysfunctional to becoming functional. Uh, if you take a married couple, for example, whose life is really centered around uh, substance abuse, as one person starts to become clean, the divorce rate skyrockets. But are they supposed to stay dysfunctional for the sake of that relationship? See, the call to Jesus, to follow the ways of Jesus, to follow the life of Jesus, is to become a self-differentiated person. We talk a lot about this in the emotional, healthy work that we do, uh, a couple courses this year. Um, But ultimately, what we're doing when we self-differentiate is we're growing in our ability to be I, to be my own person, to have my own convictions, my beliefs, um, and not be subject to what every other person has expectations on me for, what every other person wants me to meet in them. Um, And I am able to still move in fully in myself, but also still pursue relationships wholly. Um, 
And that's, I think, a lot of this is that if we aren't able to self-differentiate, now I'm subject to what my family has done and passed down to me. Now I'm subject to uh, every desire and need that my spouse may have of me to meet. I'm subject to my kids. Everything, I'm subject to the way that cultural says I need to operate and will continue to move by the wind. And I think this will drive us insane because there's no way that we can keep up with this demand of trying to please everyone while also trying to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. And I don't, this isn't just better for you. This isn't just better for me. I believe this is better for everybody. That as I become a more healthy person, as I continue to follow in the ways of Jesus to pursue him more holy in beauty and goodness, it's actually going to benefit other people. Now, that doesn't mean the relationships and everything are going to go great. I think we're still going to see friction in a lot of ways. See, Jesus is saying, put me first. But have you counted the cost of the social and relational friction that will come with the people and in the areas of your life which you care deeply about? As the builder sits down to make sure he has enough money to finish the job, have you considered all that it will cost you socially to follow Jesus? So here's a possible litmus test for us, and then we're going to go into groups. If we are open to what Jesus is calling us to here, I believe we would see some change in who we've become. If we're not open, if we're not willing to actually pay the cost that he's talking about, we probably haven't grown much in things that are good, things that are for others in comparison to others that are most naturally like us. So if you were to think back over the last five to ten years, do you look just like everyone else who has the same level of education as you? Do you have the same worldview? as the other 70-year-old boomer or the 29-year-old millennial? What does your life look like compared to your cultural, uh, your ethnic's cultural norms or traditions? And how about the expectations of your family that you have just inherited throughout generations? And I think this week, an encouragement might be to actually spend some time in prayer with this, to actually list out and write down the ways in which you find yourself demographically, your education, uh, your your culture, your ethnicity, um, just your family dynamic, all those different things. If you actually worked through and wrote those out and then just said, Lord, which ways am I just going with the cultural norms to please other people? In which ways are you calling me to actually push against the ways in which I most find myself naturally? The ways in which I'm just kind of riding with the background that I've been given. And what will it cost me? All right. Well, welcome back, everyone. I'm curious to see or hear how groups went just in this format. Um, Thank you. Thanks for staying in and taking a risk and seeing what that was like. Um, Yeah, I I know we'll we'll definitely get feedback and and see how this was in regard to connection and just helping process everything. Um, But thank you. And 
I would assume, uh, just by any of this, any of this conversation, simply just reading this passage and then trying to dialogue about it, uh, none of this is easy. Um, I love that Jesus says to, to take up your cross and follow me. This is a journey. This is not a place at which we just arrive. Um, and yeah, but I, I do want to say that, that Jesus sees the cost. Um, Jesus knows the cost. And I think that ultimately that, that he believes that if we go the way of God above all else, that it's going to be good. It's going to be good for us. It's going to be good for others. And I know sometimes it doesn't feel that way. In C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, um, the little girl finds out about uh, Aslan and, and says, oh, a lion, is he safe? And the response is, safe? What, what kind of question is that? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king, I tell you. And I think that Jesus is saying that I'm not safe. In regard to, I will cost you something, but I am good. And Jesus does not say, put me first because he is a tyrant. Jesus does not say, put me first because he is insecure. Jesus is calling us to put him first because he loves us more than we will ever know. And that he, gave to, he came to give us life and life abundantly. And that he is working good for all of those that love him. So this morning, will you consider this? While you're considering the costs like the builder, will you also consider what it looks like to surrender like the king who does not have a, enough to fight on his own? Will you surrender all that you hold dearly to the loving embrace of Jesus Christ who has gone to the lengths of death to pursue a relationship of meaning is beyond our wildest imagination. That is my hope and prayer that we walk away and consider this morning and into our week. So what we're going to do now is end with communion. Um, Kim is going to lead us, and then after that, our morning's wrapped up. Um, so together, uh, in all of this, 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 this idea that Jesus calls us to uh, put him above all other things, just the reminder that when he says to take up your cross, that he is asking us to follow him and that it's a journey. And in that journey that there is grace. And in that journey, this is why we do church. That together, as we pursue God, as we pursue Jesus and his kingdom, that we pursue one another and that we take up these crosses together. That we count the costs together. And then we push in together. And I think that's the beauty that Jesus ultimately is calling us more to than just our family. He's calling us to more than just our cultural, ethnic backgrounds. 
He's calling us to so much more than the things that we love most. Will we consider that this morning? Let's go ahead and...